and welcome to the International Church of Vilnius. It's uh, good to see you all, especially our guests and the children. It's good to be here. It's good to worship with you. And um, as we start our worship service, we'll be singing our first hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, hymn 451 and 451.
Christ. Let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song we will praise our God. You can find the responsive reading in the insert from Psalm 27, starting in verse 5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me, forsake me, God my Savior. Our second hymn this morning is going to be A Mighty Fortress is Our God, hymn 464.
from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give, give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. If you would stand, please, with me as we read, or as I read Matthew 4, starting verse 12. When Christ heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon, Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon and land of Laphtani, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land, in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, 
And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. This second reading from Romans 12 may look familiar because last week I spoke on the therefores that Paul provides in this passage. Paul told us and continues through the, the text to say that these therefores, the things that one ought to do as a Christian, are in view of God's mercy. In other words, it's based on what God has done. Now, as I think about this passage, uh, perhaps it would have been better to begin where Paul did. He spent, after all, 11 chapters speaking on what this mercy of God is, what the foundation is that he's basing these imperatives on. I was looking at this passage, and I'm the type of person that, that likes to jump to the therefores. I'm a fixer, you see. I like to know what I'm supposed to do. But the more and more I looked at this passage, I less, be, I less saw what was expected of me. And I began to see what Christ has already accomplished. You see, in these, in these imperatives to live a certain way, we can actually see the life of Christ and what he's done already. Christ is in this passage. Even though Paul meant it for us, we can see his life. Now, all of us, I think, have experienced the repercussions of sin in a broken world. We see it on TV, the news. We hear it in conversations. We hear about other people's pain. We hear, we hear about other people's experiences that have been negative. Talked to several of you this week and have heard amazing stories of things that you've been through. The broken world comes to us through the external, through the news, and through the outside sources, but it also comes from within, from maybe the way we're thinking or something that is inside of us. And sometimes it doesn't help when you sprinkle the dark, cold winter of Lithuania upon it. The short days. That mixture of external and internal repercussions of sin often leads us down a dark road. You see, we, we're, we're often lonely and depressed and maybe homesick. Maybe we have health problems, financial troubles. Whatever it is, whatever it is, the effects of sin, maybe in your life or my life, or maybe it's just the effects of a broken world, God moves. God is moving. God has moved in a lot of your lives. You've told me. I've, I've heard the stories. And sometimes when we experience the moving of God in our life, it's easy to think it's just subjective, that it, it, it may cause us to doubt. Well, I wonder if that was just true for me or if that was just one experience. But the reason I say he's moving is because he has moved. 
The reason I know that he's working in your life right now is because he has already worked in the past. Verse 1 says, now this is Paul, remember, he's talking to us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, a view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship and proper worship. Paul says that to us. Think of it this way. Because of God's mercy, Christ offered his body as a dying sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is his true and proper worship. Or rather, this is his true and proper love for you. God's love for you is so sincere. It's so great. And oftentimes we might think of this as an emotional thing. God's feelings. And it is that too. Especially in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the prophets, in the Psalms, the author speaks about God's emotion, but it's not just His emotions. He cares immensely. He cares and loves for you so much that He takes action. He's working in our midst, in your personal life, and in our corporate life as a small church. He doesn't leave you alone. Yes, he frees us from sin, but he does something else. He gives us power. I'm sorry for the speaker. He gives us resilience. He gives us patience with each other. He gives us compassion. He gives us grace. In our experience, as we experience the effects of a broken world. But does he? Sometimes we question that. We say, I don't know. Sure doesn't feel like I have God's grace. It doesn't feel like I have God's patience or his resilience. How can we know? How can we know that Jesus and God have moved in our church or in our lives. Jesus Christ has proved this is true. He proves this by his sacrifice for us. Now Paul tells us to be a living sacrifice, but Christ proves that he's moving in our lives because of the sacrifice that he's made based on the law of Moses. Now the law of Moses was a covenant. It was, it was an agreement that the people would live a certain way because they have a covenant with God. And when they made terrible acts of defiance against God, remember it wasn't God's fault, it was their fault. And so they were to bring sacrifices to demonstrate a reconnection, a reconciliation in their relationship. This sacrifice demonstrates God's nature. The fact that he told them to do this demonstrates not just what they ought to do, but what he is doing. Now, where we've fallen short, us today as Christians, where we've fallen short, Christ was holy and pleasing to God. Now, killing animals never meant to do anything alone. God could just instantly forgive us. He's all-powerful. But the sacrifice did something. It showed us, and it demonstrated something that has tremendous repercussions. 
God removes our guilt, but he removes all condemnation. Now, there's the best picture I can think of this is from Job, from from the Hebrew Scriptures, Old Testament. There's this great courtroom in heaven. God is the judge. He's the ultimate source of where condemnation comes from and judgment. But you see, you have a tremendous prosecutor that hates you. That constantly wants God to judge you because the accusations are so severe. He points at you and says, this is where you failed. This is where things have gone wrong. And it leads us down dark roads of loneliness and depression sometimes. When we hear constantly the repercussions of the broken world, Satan puts his finger on you and says, see, see God, see he's guilty, she's guilty. And the incredible thing about this courtroom is that God steps off of the judgment bench and comes down to you and he says, I'm choosing not to listen to these accusations because of my son. The judge takes your side. This would not happen in a courtroom that we would see here, maybe in this country. When we've gone against God, he comes to us. That is the incarnation. That is Christ coming to us. When we've experienced the pain and the suffering of our broken world, he comes to us in power. Great power and strength. Strength that you have today because of Christ. And not just strength to live in a way that he lived, but hope for the future. Because of all the things that you've experienced, there is a tremendous hope for you. This sacrifice of Jesus, this act, brought God pleasure. And strangely enough, it brought Jesus pleasure too. His own sacrifice. You see, he didn't live and die reluctantly. He fully knew the cost. He fully knew what was expected. He paid the price. He endured the pain. The pain that you feel now in this broken world. He chose to enter even though he didn't have to. He could have stayed. Verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing, perfect will. When Jesus came to the world, He was not conformed to the world, to the way of the world. He didn't just go the way of the grave, but he was risen from the dead by God because of who he was and how he lived. He was transformed. But what was he transformed into? The king of kings. It's perfectly seen in this picture here. Christ on the cross. Below with his, his, his disciples as a man. But at the very top, you see, that's where God put him. As our eyes are raised to see this this really amazing sculpture, Jesus was transformed into something miraculous. And that same transformation in him is happening in you today because of him. This same servant who served, was killed, who was falsely accused in the courtroom of God, 
God declared him and made him king of kings. That's the perfect will of God in this. Not just in Christ's life, but in your life. You're being transformed by the life of Christ. What happened to Christ is now happening to you. All your experiences, your pain, your hardship in a broken world, they're remarkably tied to a wonderful present that Christ is moving in your life and in the future that's to come in Him. God doesn't leave those who are now in Christ. You aren't alone. You may feel alone. You may feel loneliness. You may feel the repercussions of sin in a broken world, but you're not alone. Christ is with you. And you know what else is encouraging is that we are here with you. All of us. All of us here are in the same boat. Which is why it's so important that we remind each other of these things. Paul ends, not this section, but this sermon with verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul knew the life of Christ. He, he of course, heard about it and understood it and, and, and heard from Christ in a vision that we may know about in, in the book of Acts. But he knew it personally. He suffered greatly. All throughout his letters, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was falsely accused, he was thrown in prison, he was slandered against. And the strange thing is, is that it didn't make him bitter. It made him humble. He was often innocently judged, and this taught him the mercy of God in the midst of his terrible circumstances. How ironic that in the midst of one's circumstances, specifically Paul, he sees the mercy of God. I think Paul began to look at his life and he began to see the life of Christ in his life, falsely accused, but God was moving mightily, treated terribly, but encouraged and seeing fruit. He identified that even though the things in his life were often terrible, he began to identify with who Jesus was. And like in this passage, he tells us, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, because maybe Paul was arrogant, and he realized that he was, and he changed. But you see that Christ, Christ didn't think of himself more highly, even though he should think of himself as highly as possible. Christ didn't look at his own kingdom and his own kingship and his own deity and say, this is above me to become man. This is above me to serve. This is above me to get my hands dirty and to die. No. Imagine Jesus before he became 
I guess you could say, a, a fetus. Before he chose to enter into the womb of Mary, he knew what he was coming to do. He knew what it would take to love you and me. And he died so that we might have life. He stepped off his throne. Do you sense God's great love for you? There's probably a lot of things going on in all of our lives, things that we're struggling with, things that we've experienced, things that maybe it's a problem, maybe it's a feeling. Do you sense God's great love? And if you don't, know that texts like this prove that it's there. If it's happened before, the repercussions of what God has done exist today. And not just today, but in the future. You might not feel it or see it, but you can trust because it's in history. It's happened. What's been accomplished. It's easy for me to focus on the therefores of Paul because they're so convicting, I think. But in view of God's mercy, as we look at what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to live as Christians, it's always based on what Christ has already done, which is tremendously freeing. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt anymore in Christ. Even though the prosecutor's still talking, he's still talking to you and he's still talking to the judge. But there's no condemnation from the true power, the person who has the true power to condemn. Always remember, it's in the midst that you feel the least loved and the most helpless that God has acted the most, moving the, the greatest in ways that we often don't see, especially in things that we don't see. He's behind the scenes moving. He loves you. You aren't alone. You have the Spirit of Christ in you now if you're in Him. You have brothers and sisters going through the same thing as you. Take comfort in that. Even in the midst of cold, dark, Lithuanian winters. Let's take a few moments and then we'll recite the Apostles' Creed together. Just stand with me, please. <clears throat> Together, the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. The peace of the Lord be with you always. 
Pray with me, please, and we'll finish with the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you as we think about what we're to do in this world that we can reflect upon what you've done already in this world through him. God, give us great memories of this. Let us remember and focus on the love of God this week. We pray that you would do that. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for Vida as she recovers from her knee surgery. We thank you that that was a success. We pray that you would heal her and bring her back to us soon. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our final hymn today is Lift High the Cross. How fitting. Hymn 680. 680.
And in light of that cross, receive the Lord's benediction. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.